We are continuing our studies through our program, Operation Reconciliation, Becoming Effective Fishers of Men to Bear Fruit That Remains, Incorporating Productive Strategies of Evangelism into the Daily Life of the Church. Every single one of those words is highly important, has a clear definition, and it's something we're striving for. And we're taking this uh, kind of program that we've put together uh, to start incorporating this into everyone's life. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, just when, like next week, we're going to talk about prayer. And the main point, or one of the first things we're going to talk about prayer is like you can spend your life in effective prayer, praying prayers according to the patterns of scripture and the will of God, or you can spend your entire life wasting your time, energy, breath, thoughts on useless, effectiveless prayers. So you can do the same thing with evangelism, right? You can either do it according, uh, as we like look at today, according to the pattern uh, and become effective and what effective looks like to bear fruit, or you can not. So um, we're not going to really review a whole lot from last week, but so you got two things today. You got your outline for today. And we've got um, our reformatted evangelism scriptures to memorize. Right? Everybody's got a copy of this uh, that has 45 or 46 uh, scriptures on there, broken down to like, you know, a calling to, for evangelism, uh, attributes of God, essential attributes of man, uh, and especially, uh, you know, broken down into the fallen seven aspects of fallen man. Right, so all of those are like incredibly important as we go out and evangelize. Uh, why? Right, but why is it important that we memorize scripture and know what scripture says about it and what God says about it? We can't change people's hearts. Well, who or what can? God can. The word of God, right? I can't do that. Uh, I, can, I talk to people like all the time, every week, about like why they think things are wrong, and if they don't base it on scripture, then they ultimately don't have any reason. They just have become their own God and their own reasoning and mind of what they think is good and bad. And I talk to people who have been in the church for 30 years, uh, say that they're Bible-believing Christians, and never once do they cognitively, cognitively come to the realization or... Uh, determination that like God's word is truth and that he says what's right and wrong <laughs> which we're going to get into a little bit of that today we talked about that um, touched on it last week just like with the problem in modern day uh, with the modern approaches to evangelism and the state of the church today um, which we're going to talk that's kind of be like our first half is kind of review kind of hitting it from another angle and then we're going to look at um, the principles in training uh, the 12 apostles, the 70 others, the apostles, uh, sending others out. They modeled it. Jesus modeled it. And uh, why we're looking at that, right? So uh, I can actually grab one of the actual outlines. Um, we're going to be looking at three interrelated questions. Is training essential to producing biblical fruit? Right? Like, uh, what we're going to look at is we're going to be looking at patterns and models that we find in Scripture. Is that a pattern and a model? Is that important? And if so, or if not so, 
Like, why would we do? How does that incorporate into be making effective fishers of men producing fruit that remains? Right? Uh, you know, if uh, you're in a church or uh, I'll just say Christian culture out there, and there's if the biblical model is patterned by uh, training and equipping, and you're not getting trained and equipped, then then what are you doing? There's then there's there no for uh, therefore no possible way you can be making effective fruit, right? Uh, the second question is: Biblical training something additional to teaching uh, classes, ministry, schools? And number three: Why do we need training to produce biblical fruit? So uh, the importance of biblical patterns, models reexamined uh, to restore. So I know, looking around. Just about everybody in this room has sat through a teaching on biblical patterns, models, sat through uh, either from year one, which was two and a half or three and a half years ago of when we started the Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity series and talked for several weeks about biblical patterns, models, hey, uh, and why that's important. I know everybody, almost everybody in this room has already sat through a teaching already heard it, right? So why are we going to do it again? Because that's the pattern, <laughs> right? Until uh, we move from head knowledge to and theoretical until uh, actual foundational experience and we're actually modeling it, then we're going to continue to talk about the model and pattern. We're going to continue to re-examine it uh, and restore it until we're actually doing it. So currently, uh, you know, I know Sam Chimpoon and, and Amber, I assumed you guys weren't just going table to table and talking to people about, like, what they're eating. I assumed that when I saw you guys out today that you were evangelizing, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure, because we, as, well, as long as our poll is still accurate from last week, that uh, nobody regularly goes out and evangelizes. Uh, I think Sam and Amber are the two, you know, amongst us who have probably gone out more regularly than anybody else, right? But it's scripturally that everybody does that. Everybody shares the gospel. Everybody makes disciples and the pattern of what that looks like, right? So let's go. Let's start with, uh, since Daniel, you pray, let's go to Sam, and let's go counterclockwise around the room. You want to read that uh, under number one pattern of the tabernacle, that Exodus 25, 8 to 9 and 40. Uh, then Adam, why don't you just go ahead and read uh, Acts 7, 44. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go, yeah, read Hebrews and then on verses. Yeah, so there's a clear, especially within the tabernacle, there's, uh, where does it start? Uh, so Exodus 26 all the way through Exodus uh, 39, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, is all about like Moses erecting the tabernacle according to the pattern. He said, God said this, and he did this, exactly as he said according to the pattern, right? So to get a full teaching uh, or a more full teaching on especially the pattern of the tabernacle, go back to our RRBC series, uh, Emphasis, or 
you know, emphasis zero, our introduction on um, restoring the pattern. And we've got that on the, po the podcast, and you can listen to that more fully. Uh, but like that's something that should be deep ingrained with all of us in our in our culture of studying scripture and our hermeneutic on how to use utilize that and what like how is our orthodoxy what we believe and doing how is that being translated into what we practice, right? We should should be a constant goal of ours to uh, not be content with uh, you know giving God the glory that we have. Right, uh, and continuing to see him more glorified and more and more and more, right? Uh, we shouldn't be content with how much of the presence of God we have because we don't have it fully, right? We shouldn't be content with restoring the culture uh, and society until we restore it fully, right? If there's one area or one square inch of our culture that's given uh, towards paganism and heathenism, uh, or secularism and isn't giving glory to God, we should continue to reform and seek the pattern and institute God's laws and and reform culture until all of culture, every square inch, gives glory to God, right? So we we actually have to pay like really close attention. And I think, um, you know, you can uh, as you study church history and in light of modern culture, uh, maybe this is I'm just saying, especially maybe just because we're in the study and I'm teaching on it and I've been studying it. Uh, but I think especially in like how we do evangelism and make disciples, like we're so far off from a biblical model, you know, in Western Christianity. It's kind of crazy that, uh, I'll get into some examples later as we go through, um, as we get into like the prescribed way. But so what we have to do is like, we have to constantly reevaluate our current gospel content and ministry procedures, right? Because we talked about last week in uh, the, the first subtitle is bearing fruit that remains, right? And this, my Father, is glorified that you prove to be disciples and bear fruit, right? So that's part of, like, proving your discipleship and glorifying God is bearing fruit and, uh, you know, fruit that remains, that lasts generations, lasts your entire life, that produces more, right? Uh, that, you know, is in uh, Matthew 13, Luke 8, Mark 4, you know, the parable of the four soils that like doesn't just produce like a little fruit or one fruit that it would go so deep you know this parable is about the word of God going deep into men's hearts that it would produce fruit like 30, 60 or 100 fold not like you know one or two uh, one or two like pieces of fruit but like at least 30 is the low end you know 60 or 100 times as much right like there's actually a uh, side note uh I want to at some point do like a you know complete separate teaching on like world systems. Uh, you know we talk about the three enemies, the three inevitable or insurmountable enemies that we have, like our sin nature, Satan and his kingdom, and the world systems, and how we're completely defeated by them apart from the grace and power of Christ. Right. So most of us know a lot about our own sin nature. <laughs> if you don't, then you're just like still really deceived. I know a lot about my sin nature. <laughs> I face it every day kicks the crap out of me sometimes. Uh, and uh, so then there's the, the demonic and kingdom of darkness, right, of Satan, and then the world systems. And I, it seems like most people that I come across, or at least most people that I interact with and talk to, know something scripturally or in 
the material empirical universe of sin nature and uh, demonic strongholds or kingdom of Satan. At least they know that, like, you know, if they've read any part of the Bible that, like, you know, Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert and that the serpent in the garden was Satan and stuff like that, right? And they'd be aware of that to some degree. But I don't think most people, uh, at least most people I talk to, aren't aware of, like, world systems and, like, influencing worldviews that are, like, permeated their entire thought and way of life and how they live. Uh, you know, which comes down to, like, what we'll be talking about today is, like, how that has affected our evangelism and disciple-making. Uh, and it's been a completely separate pattern. So, where are we at? Jonathan. Uh, so we have to, so just plainly put it, like, we have to find the pattern, and we have to rediscover, and we have to implement the pattern that's already in Scripture, right? One of the things we talked about last week is one of the reasons why, you know, in the West we're in such a deep mess uh, in our culture is because we have, like, first and foremost, like, thrown off the authority of Scripture. That's where it starts. <laughs> like, and, uh, which means we have no basis for truth or reasoning, logic, morals, anything. Uh, and if we throw off the authority of Scripture, why would we even be looking for a pattern? So we're already on the wrong foot. So let's go on to the prescribed way. Um, Jonathan, can you read all of First Chronicles uh, 13, 1 through 10? And then uh, Jonathan Garrett, then Jonathan Maddox, can you read those First Chronicles 15, 13 after that? If you don't have a Bible with you or something, then we could... Oh, you guys want to switch? Yeah, we could switch. Jonathan... Yeah. You guys are both named Jonathan, so does it really matter? And then we all started talking. <laughs> so Jonathan Max, can you read First uh, Chronicles 13, 1 through 10? Uh, 13, First Chronicles 13. Uh, verses 1 through 10. Put out his hand to the earth, and he died before God. Yeah. So let's wait for uh, 15, 13 uh, for a minute. So, so for everyone that's kind of been through the, uh, we've talked about the prescribed way, the pattern, the model of the tabernacle. Uh, what do we bring out here? Like, what's the problem here? Why did, why did God strike down Uzzah? <laughs> that wasn't very nice of him. <laughs> they, weren't not, carrying, they weren't carrying the ark away. They, they were doing what? They weren't supposed to carry the ark on the cart. They were supposed to have the poles and the Levites carrying it. Right, they weren't doing it. They laid on their own understanding instead of looking to God first about how to carry the ark. Yeah, like David's like, you know, it says in uh, uh, verse, is it verse 1? Uh, David consulted with the captains of the thousands, the hundreds, with every leader. Like, like he doesn't like consult the scriptures on how to carry it. He's like, what's whatever seems right in our own eyes, you know, we'll do. Does this seem right to you? Seems right to me, right? So we actually do that like all the time, uh, every day, right? We don't consult scripture. We don't consult God and His already His His word and His character, right? We do this. You know, we currently uh, do this in evangelism, right? Like, hey, how do you share the gospel? How do you, like, you know, uh, how do you do it? And it's just like, well, you know, I just try to, you know, I just try to 
leave little Jesus post-it notes here and maybe they'll see the word Jesus and they'll become a Christian or something. And that seems to be pretty effective. That's working for me. Oh, great. I might try that. Oh, yeah, you might. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, what a tip would know. Yeah. Well, there were, we were at an event at a Christian concert over the summer, and uh, they had these stands, and they had these, like, uh, gospel tracks that are full up in $100 bills, and they throw them on the floor and wait for you to walk by and say, hey, did you drop that? And they wait, and they're like, oh, that's a $100 bill, and they pick it up, and you're like, oh, it's a gospel track. <laughs> Everyone's really disappointed. And then they... Uh, treat you like a kid or something. It was a bad, it was a terrible experience and, oh man. Um, right, so David didn't consult with like the scriptures, he didn't consult with God, he didn't care, seemed to care about God's way, seemed if it seemed right to the leaders, right? Let's, does it seem like a good idea? Yeah, there's wisdom in leadership, sure. But uh, is it according to God's plan and pattern that he's already set forth in his word? Did he already tell you how to do it? and you're consulting other people. Like, there's actually no need for David to consult other people if he knew the word enough. Uh, but even if he did consult other leaders, he should have been saying, what is, what's God already said? How do we carry this? Right? He should have actually uh, petitioned the Levites because <laughs> they, the, they were the priests in the temple, right, who, who held the law. Um, they carried out on a new cart, right? Uzzah, man. Not good for him, right? So, uh, Jonathan Garrett, read that uh, First Chronicles fifteen thirteen. For the Lord our God, proper procedure. Yeah. So this is after. Uh, this is two chapters later, right? David's bringing the cart. He's consulted the scriptures. He's consulted the Levites and how to carry the cart. He's taken the proper precautions. What a. Uh, so what drove him to like actually start? seeing what God would have to say about it. Uzziah's death? No, not Uzziah's death. Not Uzziah's death. I think it was when the, the ark was sent to someone's house and then they rescued Yeah, Obed-Edom, right? It was in the house of Obed-Edom, right? So they carried on for an amount of time without the presence of God, without the ark of the covenant, just as before, uh, nothing, nothing new, right? But without the presence of God. Right, without the manifest glory uh, in his way, right? They continued to do everything they did as Israel, right? Doing their own thing uh, until they saw that Obed-Edom was getting blessed, until his household was getting blessed, his land, right, had the presence of God. And then they're like, oh, we got to put the ark in the center. Yeah. That's what we got to do. We got to get that. Uh, we kind of just dropped it because Uzzah died. <laughs> Right? We gotta, it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous to carry the presence of God. Right? What's that? Mm. Uh, right? It was, it was too dangerous. It was too costly. So let's leave it here uh, and let's carry on as we were without the presence of God uh, in our own way. Is right? Because he didn't, David wasn't like, oh, let's consult the scriptures because Uzzah's dead. <laughs> he saw that Uzzah died. <laughs> But that wasn't enough force, you know, enough uh, in his life to say, ooh, we should, let's consult the scriptures. It, was, it wasn't until he saw Obed-Edom getting blessed, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, that's kind of like where we're at uh, in modern Western churches nowadays. I'm going to, like, 
take a quick sidestep to like before we talk about like the actual pattern of the uh, the seven principles employed by Jesus and the apostles in in training and equipping uh, those to make disciples and bear fruit that remains. Um, like, because I, I really want to drive home the point of, like, if you don't understand it, like, if you just think I'm full of crap and, like, I'm, I literally meet with people every week for six to eight months of, like, at, like, over a period of time meeting with, like, the same person for six to eight months. And this happens over and over and over. And this is not an uncommon theme for, and I know, and I know other people sitting in this room do the exact same thing, meet with people one-on-one for a period of months uh, with people who have, one, Christian parents. Two, raised in the church the whole life. Three, profess to believe in Christ. And uh, four, uh, say that they know something about God. And I meet with them for long periods of time. Uh, and it, almost every time I find out that, like, uh, not almost every time, but very often, I find out that they know nothing about God. They know nothing about the Bible. They've never read it. Uh, they know, like they've made a God in their own head and in their own heart, and that's the God they're worshiping. And they're not converted because they don't. They've never actually read about Jesus, never read the Gospels. They've trusted Veggie Tales. They've trusted Larry the Cucumber to tell them uh, about Jesus, about Christ, about the eternal God of the universe. Never read Scripture. Never inquired for themselves. Uh, have no truth of foundation or foundation of morals. Um, and most of the time they're living like a pretty good life, like according to their standards, uh, not according to God's, because they haven't read and they wouldn't know that. <laughs> but if they read scripture, they would know that. Uh, they're content uh, to some degree with where they're at. They feel some sense of calling by God to do something, although that's usually really nebulous. Um, you know, and usually they've never felt the presence of God and don't have any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> about, like, God is near and close and you can, like, tangibly know that he is, uh, you know, around and you can hold to his promises and what his promises are and you've experienced his Holy Spirit or, like, you know, at least peace or conviction or something, right? Uh, but it happens, like, I meet with people for hours at a time for several months and it's very common that they know nothing, like, and they're raised in, like, and these people are, like, over 20 years old, so they're over 20 years exposed to the church, over 20 years exposed to Christian parents, and they know little to nothing about God. That's the culture we're living in, and uh, that's why I heard you guys last week, like, just get out there and talk to somebody who says they're a Christian and see how much they know, right? Because we talk about, like, two types of knowledge, head knowledge, theoretical knowledge, and experiential knowledge, and nine times out of ten, the people I meet with, in my experience, don't even have the head knowledge right. They couldn't even, like, uh, I was meeting with someone today, and, you know, the World Mission Society Church of God comes around, which talks about God, our mother, right? Uh, and I, was, I, I approached them today because they were talking with somebody who I met with a couple of years ago, and, you know, I like to put in little things like, hey, do you guys still believe that, like, God the Mother is incarnate on Earth and you can go and worship her? Is that, like, a, is that still a thing? <laughs> you know, because they're not open with that, right? But if you can't, like, refute that, uh, you know, then you got some learning to do. So, uh, 
So a little bit more on like the just like how bad it is out there. It's like really, really bad. Uh, so what kind of happened, you know, we talked about the fundamentalist modernist controversy of the early, you know, 20th century, the early 1900s of when there was a split of like, you know, liberal and conservatism and it, you know, bred a whole new way of interpreting scripture, which neither one of them, the liberals, the modernists or the conservative, the fundamentalists were actually true to scripture and, uh, you know, diverted from, you know, uh, historical interpretations of scripture and, you know, invented modern day uh, uh, premillennial ideas and, and popularized them and stuff like that. Uh, but one of the more recent kind of things that happened, you know, just from an ecclesiological standpoint, you know, from a church study standpoint is the church growth movement of the 19, started kind of in the 1950s, but really started to pick up in the 1960s, um, you know, which came after the rise of higher criticism. And so what the church growth movement did was uh, instead of looking, right, because all throughout like higher criticism, which led to the fundamentalist modernist controversy, uh, like, so they started throwing out the authority of scripture, right? So the authority of scripture wasn't important. So when we get to the 60s in the church growth movement, we started to look at statistical data on how to make churches grow, how to get more people in the church, get seeker sensitive, you know, model of getting people in the doors, right? To get larger churches to then preach to them the gospel and do something, right? So what's wrong with that? Getting people in the door so they can hear the gospel. It's not um, according to what God has established, what Jesus has established, what the church should be. And you end up getting people together in a social club that really has no power over the kingdom. Well, they're going to hear the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> right? But that's not the... What's that? I was going to say, if you can't get them in with the gospel, then they're not going to care whether they hear the gospel or not. Right. They're not going to know whether or not they hear it. How you get them is how you keep them. Right, if they're coming for the coffee, which, by the way, nobody comes to our church for the coffee. If they, they do, that's how you know that they're, like, deep down a really bad sinner. <laughs> that's how you know. That's like, right? Uh, no, but, uh, right, because if they're coming for the coffee or they're coming for the food or they're coming for something else, they're going to leave because it's, they're not getting that, mm -hmm. right? So what the church growth movement did um, you know, I'm just going to pull up. I'm going to tell you what, the, what their main objectives are. Uh, so I'm not going to throw out the names of the people that kind of popularized or these ideas. Um, but this is what it's based on. So it's not based on, like, telling people the gospel, making disciples of Christ, training them and equipping them to understand uh, God and his word and his kingdom and obedience to Christ. That's not what it's based off of. It's based off of getting people in the doors Right? How do we attract more people so that maybe we'll have a chance later down the road? Right? So you're already throwing out models, patterns, uh, examples, authority of scripture. So most likely you're going to water down the gospel anyways. Right? There's almost no chance of you having a biblically accurate gospel because you've already thrown it out because <laughs> that's where you're starting. Right? Throw out the gospel, throw out the word of God, let's try statistics. Right? So there's what's called the attractive church model, 
which is a model such as programs, daycare, sports programs, classes, contemporary music, and worship um, are created to attract people to the community of the church, right? So bring people in by the programs, right? We got, we got yoga. We got jujitsu at this church. We got all these programs, right, to help serve people, get them in the doors, and then uh, get them here on the, to the yoga class, get them here to the uh, whatever class it is, and then we'll preach the gospel, right? Uh, there's the uh, preach God to friends and neighbors model, uh, which is, um, in this model, members of the congregation begin to preach God to friends and neighbors as they preach God they are eventually seen as God experts and people begin to inquire of them about spiritual issues. Uh, well, the problem with that is if you're not equipping them to be God experts, then we're exactly in the model of, uh, in the state of the church we're in today is where uh, I ask people like, you know, when I start meeting with them, I was like, what do you, what's God like? And they'll tell me like some characteristic that's true. God's loving or God's harsh uh, or he's judgmental. Uh, you know, um, or something. He'll. I'll usually hear something that's accurate, but it's never like it's, it's, it's either all love. God is all loving. He loves all people. All people go to heaven. All people are saved. God loves everything, and He's never angry. And there is no such thing as the wrath of God. So there's no reason to repent. And I'm accepted by God, and I can do whatever I want, right? Or God's an overbearing father who's very wrathful and I just have to obey him and he doesn't care about how close I am or he doesn't want to be near and draw near to me because he loves me. Uh, you know, nothing is held in tension. It's usually one extreme or the other, right? Because if you're not, if you're not preaching the right God, right? Just when we talked about uh, biblical worship, you have to first have the right object. You have to be worshiping the right object, right? Like World Mission Society Church of God claims that we have the same God, but we do not. Jehovah's Witnesses claim we have the same God, but we do not. Mormons claim we have the same God, but we do not, right? Uh, because words matter, you know? So, uh, and they have a completely definition of who God is and who Jesus Christ is, right? So, uh, unless you're actually equipping your people to have, you know, systematic theology, historical theology, read the Bible, thoroughly through multiple times and actually become a God expert and then preach to your friends, then you already rejected the gospel in the first place. Does that make sense? That's like a, uh, more of a model of like, create your own God, invite your friends, and come to our church. And we'll all worship our own individual gods together mm-hmm. under one name, right? Uh, you know, and then, so I was actually doing research, and we actually have, like, there's a mega church, multi-campus church in our area, uh, probably the biggest one, um, that one of the guys that uh, helped found it um, is one of the higher, like, he's viewed as, like, one of the top 50 guys, top 50 most influential Christians in America, uh, and he helped build this church up. Uh, and this is called the missional church model. I'm not going to name it. You can ask me later. Uh, in this model, mission, missional activities are developed to which people are drawn to participate. As they participate, they gradually become involved in the life of the church. What's the problem with that? People love missions. Why can't we do missions? They might. Well, th- those are both true. But even before that, 
Like, I want to feed the homeless. Why can't I join in and feed the homeless? I'm not really attracted to the gospel. They just want to do good things to feel better about themselves and ignore God. Yeah, like, that's not, if you don't start with, like, a humble heart of, like, I'm serving God, and, like, if you're not discipling people and doing it for discipleship to glorify God, then you're doing exactly as Josiah said. You're just, like, serving yourself to make yourself feel good, right? So, uh, you know, so this is a local church, multi-campus. So I did a little bit of research last night. And I'm just going to read, like, so this is what they put on uh, this pastor's bio. bio. This is straight from the website. Um, It says, when this guy arrived in this church in 1979, worship attendance hovered at 90 with 118 members, and the annual budget was 27,000. That's uh, a pretty small church, right? Uh, Today, 4,500 guests on average worship or grow weekly at a multi-million dollar budget helps uh, resource faith community, commitment to serving the poor, lost, and disenfranchised, right? So nowhere actually on any of their bios have I read on their own website that they're claiming to like help people get discipled, help people love Christ. It's we went from 90 and a budget of 27,000 to 4,500 and a multi-million dollar budget. That's kind of scary because nothing in, like even in like the pastor's bio was like about like equipping people, loving people, becoming disciples of Christ, glorifying God. It's clearly uh, about church growth and going from 90 to 4,500 and $27,000 a year to multi-million dollars a year, right? Uh, And I went ahead and, so I went ahead and listened to, that's not the head pastor, that's the person that, uh, was part of the church growth movement, um, you know, and this is a major uh, church with multiple campuses in the Dayton area. So I decided to listen to like their main preacher, right? I was like, well, you know, that's just one guy; it's not a big deal. So I decided to listen to a couple of sermons last night, and uh, like, so this is what's out there. Like, I really encourage because we are really privileged at GCF and RCF to be founded in biblical studies, encouraging everyone to take systematic theology, learn apologetics, read through the Bible multiple times, um, study worldviews, presuppositions, uh, your hermeneutics and approach to scripture. And if you've been in that a couple of years, then like you kind of like get a little disillusioned about like what's out there, right? So frequently I go out, uh, I go out as in I search the web uh, <laughs> to other churches in the area that have influence and try to see what they're preaching. And so, like, this is no joke. Uh, I listened to this sermon from their last week, and it was on, um, you know, when the, it was on the Mark version of Matthew 16 of Christ asking Peter, Who do you say that I am? And uh, it was all about. You proclaim Christ as Lord, and then you get your new identity, which so far are pretty good, right? And you, it's pretty much said, what we're saying is that you self-actualize into your God-given calling, into being, having your best life now. It was all self-actualizing, getting from God uh, a new identity, and becoming, there's, the literal phrase was, there's no cap to who you can become, not like, like how you can like crucify your flesh and submit to God and obey him 
and serve in his kingdom. It was, how big can you get? How big can God bless you? And there was uh, almost no aspects of the gospel. And it was only 30 minutes long. <laughs> and the first six minutes were, was a story, uh, a personal story, not related, right? So uh, I would uh, like go out there and like, you know, if you have like even uh, the beginning ideas of what the gospel is, especially people have been with us for you know a year or more, like go and see what's out there because it's really scary. There's hardly any churches, uh, with especially within the church growth movement, um, that are preaching gospel, the gospel, and equipping others and training others to uh, become fruitful in the kingdom which is why we're in such a terrible state in Western Christianity. And uh, if you think I'm just like overstating the case, go out there and do your research. Like there's, it's all about money, getting people in the door. It's never focused on uh, producing disciples of Christ to build character, to generationally build and expand the kingdom in the fruit and productivity that Christ and scripture has already said. And it's very plain, plain in the scriptures, right? So, uh, let's move on from that, right? Just go out there and do your research because it's it's pretty bad out there. Um, where are we at, Teresa? Uh, so let's move on to number three: Jesus, the ultimate pattern, model, example. Um, go ahead and just read that, John thirteen fifteen. For I give, for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Right. So who's that? Jesus. Jesus, right? What's the what's the context? I think um, the Right, washing the disciples' feet, right? What I do to you, you do to others, right? It's modeling. It's not just a not just a theoretical like do what I tell you, not what I do, right? Do what I say, not what I do. Josiah, can you read that John 20, 21? And go ahead and read that 1 Corinthians 11 one since they're so short. Uh, John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, we have like a whole teaching devoted to... Uh, looking at Jesus as the ultimate pattern, model, and example. Uh, you can find that on the website, uh, in the podcast. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, like, because I ask people all the time uh, when I'm meeting with them, and, like, you know, what's, what does Christian maturity look like? What does it look like to become a mature Christian, to grow up in Christ? And uh, nobody, like, at least, you know, in the last year or two, no one's like instantly gone to to be more Christ-like, to be more like Jesus, right? But it's kind of like in the words, like what's it mean to be more mature in Christ? It means to become more like him, right? He modeled the perfect man. Uh, he modeled how to evangelize. He modeled how to do servant leadership, everything, right? That's why, which we're going to get, I'll talk more about that just as we do uh, these actual seven uh, principles that Christ employed, right? So, um, 
the training of the twelve. We're going to look at seven principles employed by Jesus and the apostles. So this is why this is where it comes like down to the like the brass tacks. This is the model. This is the pattern. This is how we go and evangelize. This is how we make disciples. This is how we produce fruit that remains. If we veer from the pattern, if we veer from the prescribed way, uh, then we're doing it our own way, and we will fail, and the presence of God will not go with us. We will not see Christ's kingdom come. We will not see God glorified, right? So that's our ultimate goal. That's what we want. Uh, if you don't want that, then talk, talk to me later. <laughs> Better yet, talk to Daniel later. <laughs> Somebody else. <laughs> yeah, and if Daniel needs to talk to himself, he will. Uh, right. So that Ephesians four eleven through thirteen. Uh, Austin, why don't you read that? By Christ's fullness. Right. So we're going to be trained by those uh, offices employed in the church, right, to equip the saints. That's every believer for the work of ministry until we all reach full maturity according to the stature and the fullness of Christ until we're all fully mature in Christ and unified in one body. So I think we need a little work. At least I know uh, I'm not measuring up to the fullness of Christ. Uh, So there's still a little bit of work to do, right? You know, so this isn't, uh, just to kind of reiterate, like, from the very beginning, is like, uh, you know, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you till the end of the age, right? That was given to the 12 disciples, but there's no, that wasn't like for them, and then it's dead. It wasn't for, like, just church offices, Right to make disciples, that was for every believer who's called a saint. Right, so uh, what you're calling in Christ, it's to make disciples, to teach them uh, <laughs> uh, how to obey Christ, to bear fruit, to know His presence, to advance His kingdom, and whatever that looks like, you know, between persons is going to differ, but that's your ultimate goal: make disciples, bear fruit, produce more people to glorify Christ, right? So the first one of the seven, uh, we're looking at calling. That's leaving, cleaving, following Christ, right? This is clearly modeled, um, you know, in the Gospels of Luke, Mark, Matthew, uh, where, you know, what happens when Paul, or Paul, when uh, Jesus calls uh, the first of his disciples, uh, Peter and, and James with their dad's fishing boat, what do they do? They leave. They're like, I gotta go. I gotta go, Dad. See you later. Or not. Like the Messiah is here. <laughs> like, like that's not important right now. Fishing's not important. <laughs> I gotta go, right? Um, so Olga, can you read that uh, John fifteen sixteen a? You did not choose me, but I chose you. Right. That's like the title, the first subtitle in our, uh, or. Yeah, first subtitle in our uh, title here. You know, right? Like, Christ chooses you in order that you would bear fruit and that it would remain. Right? That's the purpose. He's calling you not just to uh, theoretically be pietistic and have a good marriage and raise your kids. 
he wants you to go and produce fruit. So uh, what I mentioned about like worldviews and uh, you know the the worldviews of our age, there's actually like uh, I've had like elders of of a church. Well, I've had an elder of a church, you know, uh, tell me once that like, yeah, like Jesus wants us to make disciples, but sometimes like the only disciples we get to make are our children. I was like, like a big red flag went off in my head. I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, we should make disciples out of our children, but like, where are you getting this idea from that we shouldn't produce more disciples than our children? Like, that's a really low goal, right? Like, I hope that uh, I get to, like, right? If I want to, like, shirk responsibility, just don't have children then. <laughs> uh, if I don't want to make disciples, right? No, like, like, Jesus never limits it to, like, you know, just your children and, like, yeah, you should make disciples on your children, but, like, that's, like, nowhere is that modeled or pointed to in Scripture that, like, you're not supposed to go out and radically make disciples of everybody you encounter and that, that like, right, even the model in uh, Matthew 13 is, like, 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100, right? That's a lot of kids to have, so... Uh, <laughs> You can work. You can work at it, <laughs> but uh, you know, like we're not supposed to be like producing, like just reproducing our our children. If you and your wife or you and your husband only have like two or three kids, that's and only produce and all all of your kids produce uh, are radical disciples. That's great, but like the return on investment is very low, right? Christ wants us to go out, call and preach and evangelize and go out and make disciples of all nations, not of like just our household, right? So that Luke 5, 27, uh, after that he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And what did he do? He left everything and got up and began to follow him, right? Same thing in, in Matthew. So flip over to the back, so calling, right? Like, if you never get to the point of calling, if we're not, you know, also modeled in, uh, you know, Paul says in uh, Romans 10, right? Like, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how are they supposed to call on him if they don't, in whom they don't believe, and how are they supposed to believe if someone never preaches, and how are they supposed to preach if someone's never sent, right? There's a sending, and how are they supposed to, uh, and I think that's the last of it, right? And then, you know, how beautiful is it? But they haven't all believed our word, right? But faith comes through hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. Like, you have to actively get out there and call, right? No one's going to get up and follow Jesus until you call them to do that, until you call them into that, right? So number two, modeling. Where are we at? Uh, melody. So we're looking at living a pattern, Jesus and Paul mainly, servant leadership, teamwork, uh, so read those two, uh, John thirteen fifteen and First Corinthians eleven one. For I gave you an example that you should also right. Yeah. So I had in those. I added the ones that would fit on this line. First uh, Corinthians four fourteen through seventeen, Philippians three seventeen, Philippians four nine, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, thirteen seven. Uh, like this isn't an uncommon theme, right? We don't. Uh, see it common in churches today, right, of like, come be with me uh, and model what I do, 
come learn from me. Let's hang out. Uh, you know, see how I worship God and then worship God the way I do, and then you'll see Jesus. All right? We, that's not prominent in our ideas in the West, right? Because we're so, but that's a really prominent idea in Scripture, right? In a, <coughs> you know, in that first, the kind of be imitators of me, just as I am also of Christ, is like kind of the locus classicus of is, is where we, you know, can most didactically see that idea, like be imitators of me, right? That's really, <laughs> that's really scary. Like, I want to say like, you know, be imitators of all the good things that are uh, biblical, but don't be imitators of all of me, right? But Paul's not limiting that. He just says, be imitators of me as I am also of Christ. So, you know, he says the same thing earlier in chapter 4. Uh, he says, like, you have many guides in Christ, but not many fathers, right? So he's saying you had many people who guided you and showed you way, but not many fathers, that close, paternal, intimate relationship, and he goes on to say, like, that's why I sent you Timothy, so that you'll learn my ways in Christ. Like, one of the, like, like I could just imagine, uh, like, that sending off of, like, Timothy is like, Paul's like, hey, Timothy, I gotta go to, I, I gotta get you to go to Corinth. And Timothy's like, go to Corinth? What's going on? It's like, well, uh, they're having sex with their stepmom, and <laughs> stepmoms, and there's large uh, sexual immorality, and, uh, you know, they're, like, taking each other to court, and it's, it's rampant. It's crazy. There's not even any elders. And just go there and, you know, teach, <laughs> teach them our ways in Christ. Teach them my ways in Christ. And if, I, if Timothy is half as ornery as me, I'd put up a little fire. Like, I don't want to go there. <laughs> I'm not going to Corinth. Those people. Uh, but, like, Paul literally sent him Timothy, or sent the church Timothy, to learn Paul's ways in Christ. Right? To come out of uh, worldliness, their own gods, their own standards, uh, into like what it means to obey Christ, to be the church, to become leaders, uh, to establish elders and, and whatnot. Right? So, like, that's huge. Uh, like, you do have to be it before you can go and, and do it, right? That's why I emphasize it, you know, a lot with people like, uh, like the character you hold in your bedroom, whether you malign people in your heart, in your room, by yourself, really does matter. Like, not just that I can't, you know, uh, I could see the easy translation if like, you know, if I'm talking with Josiah on a Sunday night or something and we're kind of, uh, you know, maligning authority or something in the church or in culture and then, you know, if it came back and... Josiah was like maligning my authority, which little I have, or supposed authority or something. And I could be like, oh, that's a natural consequence, like, right? Because we both maligned authority together and we were partaking. Like, of course you would, right? But uh, scripture actually goes as far as the extent saying, like, I can't malign authority in my heart, in my room, by myself, uh, and, you know, expect Josiah, because we hang out, to not absorb that, right? There's a spiritual reality and truth that, uh, right, the spirit and attitudes that I have, not just in front of people, right, but also that I hold privately, uh, translate, right? I want to, you know, expect people to, you know, constantly be filled with, like, private sins of, like, lust and pornography and leadership or something, and that not translate down the road, even if people don't know about it, 
because it's that pervasive in the person, right? So that has to, like, you have to hold yourself. You have to, like, pursue Christ, crucify your flesh as you go out and make disciples because they will become like you, right? I know I do, like, a lot of this with my hands. Not because, like, I like doing it, because I've absorbed it from Greg. Because <laughs> he does this with his hands. I don't even know if I put my hands down, right? Like, uh... You know, and and we have that type of relationship. Like, uh, it's not, it's like very frequent that uh, Greg will ask me to do something, and he calls Catherine to me, mom. Like, go tell mom, and he's like, she's like, oh, wait a minute, you're not my natural son. Uh, go tell Catherine, right? Because it's that close of a relationship, and that's the relationship that we should have with people as we go and make disciples, right? You have many guides in Christ, but not many fathers. Not you have many guides in Christ, but not many mentors or people who are willing to spend some time like fathers. Like he uses that word specifically, right? You have to, you will become like your father, right? That's, does everybody know like how pervasive that is in scripture? Like Jesus, like it's the most confusing thing. One of the more confusing things to me is uh, John 8 when it says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you, you are truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and you, the truth will set you free. And those Jews who had believed in him then say, we have never been enslaved. And Jesus says, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And still going down a little bit farther, like in the 40s or something of the verses in John 8, still speaking to the Jews who had believed in him, he starts saying, you are like your father, the devil, because you seek to kill me. Because he has been a murderer from the beginning, and you are just walking in his ways. That's just me paraphrasing the last part, right? So the confusing part to me is like those Jews who had believed in him are still under their father, the devil. Uh, but that's something for you to work out in your private time, or, or Josiah will come over Sunday night and discuss it with you. Uh, but... You know, like, he doesn't say, like, you're like your, uh, you know, any other relationship. He says, you're like your father, the devil. You will be like your dad, whoever your dad is. You can't help it. You can get a new dad. <laughs> don't, tell, don't tell your dads. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you will become, uh, and you will model whoever your father is, your spiritual father, your natural father, and, uh, and, the people you will disciple will become like you. So you have to hold, you have to seek, you know, personal holiness, purity, right, attitudes and motivations before God, uh, you know, especially as we go and evangelize. Because the people who evangelize who are the people we're going to disciple. Right? All right. That's enough on that one. Uh, there's plenty of other verses I can throw out there for, you know, modeling. That's huge. Um... You know, especially in in Christ, right? Christ and then Paul was the next biggest example. All right, discipleship by association. This is normally neglected and reduced. So, Jane, can you read um, just that whole paragraph, the three com crucial components in that Mark 13 and Acts 14, 3, 4, 13? Yeah, so anybody on the leadership team or anybody that knows, like what's the difference between informational, impartational, and formational discipleship? Let's start with informational. 
Nobody wanted to jump to the gun. I gave you a whole two seconds. Like here's an article to read. Yeah, here's an article to read. It's information. It's it's knowledge. It's head knowledge, right? Right. Like if uh, if I'm getting together with somebody and discipling them, and they have uh, they haven't yet confirmed in their heart, mind, life, and reality that. Uh, the scriptures are the source of all truth, reality, wisdom, knowledge, and there's no hope of knowing Jesus Christ outside of the scriptures. I'm started to implement that daily. I'm going to continue to give them information on the scriptures, which is mainly found in the scriptures, right, of why they need to read the Bible daily, why they need to uh, reexamine their entire life, right, because they're standing on an unsure foundation, right? So I'm giving them more information, right? So information is the easy one. What about impartation? Everybody. <laughs> so without using the uh, uh, words. same words, information is informational. Uh, information can't be explained with information because it's based enough of a word that everyone knows what information is. Pretty basic. Okay. But um, formational is more like application and commands, like telling well, We're not talking about, let's talk about impartational first. I was just covering the three, but impartation. Let's no, do specifically impartational, Okay. just so we can go through. It's kind of like the fruit of modeling. It's like what you receive from them, like just from being with them, like. Yeah, what moving, you do your hands, your hands. <laughs> moving your hands a lot, right? Yeah, like you're gonna absorb the attitudes, the motivations. <laughs> Right, like uh, Paul says to you know Timothy, his beloved son or his true son in the faith, in Second Timothy uh, three ten, you however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, or my purpose of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, you know that happened to me. Right, so Timothy is so intimately like close to Paul that he knows his purpose of life, his whole foundation for living and what he's doing, why he's getting persecuted, why he's willing to go through it, you know, uh, in like a real experience. And it's been given to Timothy to have the same motivations, attitudes, and spirits within him, right? Like, uh, so most people will probably know who I'm talking about, but we're not going to name names because this was somebody... So there was somebody who was like very didactic, King James only, uh, recently, somewhat recently, uh, you know, in our midst. And he was like adamant about it. And he had some, he was like so close, like, or so, uh, like that was like his big stick, shtick is like King James only. And that's all we could do. And you can't know anything. And King James says unicorn. So there was unicorns, even though uh, every other translation translates as ox and, and whatnot. Right, uh, you know, and I met with them, and it's very clear that, like, as he told me about his dad and his family, that like that's where he got it. it was like, because his dad does the same thing. He told me about how much his dad has taught him about King James only, and his dad's a preacher, and he's going to be a preacher, and like all that was imparted to him. You know, what we would see is like probably in an overbearing, wrong, informational way, into a spirit. Like whether you're like Paul, but Paul says like my faith. My patience, my love, like these things, like you will impart these things and give them to people. Like that is a spiritual reality that uh, if you're overly patient, 
and you're not, uh, if you're too patient, you know, you don't part that, if, or if you're not patient enough, uh, right? So that's why it's so important of, of the modeling part, you know, and as we disciple in the impartation, to be pure, right? To come to Christ with like, giving him the glory to his name of everything you've got, of all your attitudes, all your motivations. That's why we like harp on, you know, going through deliverance so much. Do you have something, John Luke? When you said impartation, what you were talking about is that Yeah. Yeah, that's a good example. Right? And, you know, like he modeled them and gave the information of like servant leadership, right? Like we read in John thirteen, right? But that wasn't just informational. He was imparting his his spirit, his attitudes, like his humility into his disciples, right? So what about uh, formational? What's formational discipleship? Like forming their character and like who they are for like the application of scripture and commands and practical things. Yeah, stop sinning. <laughs> Do that now. You have a, you're not patient enough. Right? Like, I'm going to form your character. Uh, I'm going to actively correct and rebuke. Right? So all, besides information, uh, formation um, and impartation, like, requires, like, association, a closeness that, like, when we had that modeling, that fatherhood model or motherhood model. Right? So, like, I don't know what the percentage and statistics are, but that's not pervasive in our Christian culture. That's not part of the church growth movement. That you don't get people that way. <laughs> you don't grow churches and get a bigger tithe base and go from, get a multi-million dollar multi-campus gathering that way. There's not enough time to meet with people one-on-one. -on -one. There's not enough time to like correct people personally and help them personally obey Christ and all that they do. We don't have enough time for that. But we do have enough times for yoga, <laughs> sports programs, knitting classes, toddler swimming, or whatever, if your church is big enough to have a pool, <laughs> right? So you see like how far it's going off base from gospel building disciples of Christ to building people who are like in the doors, right? So we refuse to do it any other way. We refuse to just get people in the door and hope that they hear about Christ sometime in a couple years after they've done our yoga and Pilates class and, you know, and whatnot, right? If we ever have a yoga and Pilates class, I'm done. <laughs> Quit. <laughs> We're leaving, right? You know, so it mandates that there has to be time spent. That have to, you have to know the people one-on-one. -on -one. You have to eat dinner with them, right? The greatest thing about, like, as you go into uh, evangelizing with evangelizing the people and start meeting them and discipling them is you get to go out and eat dinner all the time. <laughs> It'll cost you though, right? So, um, you know, the whole thing about uh, in, in Acts 4 that they realized that they had been with Jesus, they realized that these were, these were apostles, that they have the character, the knowledge, the wisdom, they're acting like Jesus. They're in the same temple that Jesus was in doing the same things. <laughs> these people were with Jesus, right? All right, so number four, sending. Deanna, can you read, uh, let's just read that whole thing. 
I'll just break it out instead of doing individual verses, just read that whole uh, paragraph under sending. Yeah, so uh, this is John 20 and Acts 1. So where was that in Jesus' ministry? Towards the end. Right, towards the end and uh, after his resurrection, before his ascension and coronation, right? Uh, was that the first time he sent out people? No, when else did he send out? Luke 10. Luke 10 sent out, was that the 70 others or was that the... That was the 70 others, right? That was the second account. What, what about before that? I think it's Luke 9. I'd have to double check. But he sends out the 12, right? He sends out uh, the 70 or 72 others, right? And what about the gathering demoniac? When does he send out the gathering? Like, does anybody know it well enough? Uh, after in the account of the gathering demoniac? Like, what happens? When does he send them out? Immediately. Immediately, right? Yeah. He cleanses them, right, of all evil spirits. He doesn't sit them down and have, like, a 12-part series, right, on, um, like, this is what you should do. And here's, he doesn't say, all right, gathering demoniac. <laughs> Put some clothes on. Uh, and here's presuppositional apologetics, and here's how I want you to do it, right? He says, go out and tell them, I go out into the Decapolis, the ten cities, and tell everybody what's been done to you. Tell everybody, just giving a testimony, right? Preparing for Christ to come through. There was no preparation, right? When you sent out the twelve, like, they were not, like, ready to go out. When you sent the 70 others out, they were not ready to go out, right? So we're all going to, like, none of us are ready to go out, right? None of us, uh, we're all ready to go out. We're all ready and willing, but we're not, like, super equipped you know so part of it is like you just have to get out there or you just have to go out there and share the gospel and evangelize and and the lord will teach you uh you know on scene like in the moment right but also you know that's kind of you know just the first point is this was before the disciples were ready this was before that uh you know they were fully ready to go out and and do missions so to speak um but there has to be ascending, right? So the Socratic progression in Romans 10 doesn't say, whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved, how will they call unless they believe, and how will they believe unless someone preaches, and how is someone going to, you know, but it says how is someone going to preach unless they're sent, right? So uh, we kind of have this idea in modern culture that, like, people are just going to, like, naturally arise into this preaching ministry. I have this calling from God and I'm going to do that and I'm going to find out how that's done, right? Like what we're doing is uh, I'm saying if you're on the RCF leadership team or want to be on the RCF leadership team, then you are, I am sending you. You don't have an option, <laughs> right? Uh, if, if you're a disciple of me, then you don't have an option. You're going to be sent. You're going to evangelize, right? Uh, you know, because imitate me as I imitate Christ and I imitate my dad. Uh, so, and, you know, I'm basing it off of the Great Commission. And it, even if you're the gathering demoniac, 
let's get you cleansed and let's send you out. Let's get ready to go, right? So there has to be, there has to be ascending, right? That's part of the reason why uh, our culture is like falling apart morally and is becoming so corrupt is because, mainly because we're rejecting the authority of scripture and God's laws, commands, and obedience to Christ, but nobody's getting sent out to do that, right? There's uh, seminaries that train you to be a, a church pastor or leader that'll help you to, you know, shepherd a, a congregation, but no one's, like, there's not a whole lot of seminaries that are focused on how to go out and evangelize and how to send people out to evangelize. And... May I just say this real quick for a minute? Yeah. Yeah, so the Lord does uh, press it on people's hearts, right? Yes. So it should be in your heart to evangelize Absolutely. if you love Christ. Right? That, if that's not in your heart, then there's a problem. Yes, that is very right. That's right? very true. And you will get when you evangelize and you tell the world about him. Yeah, and part of training, because like, so we're going to go into this the next, uh, uh, in a few weeks, I have to see what model is. Of, you know, because of, we have such a low... Uh, gospel saturated churches is most of us uh, of what I've experienced out there is people go out there and share the good news of Christ and that's all they know is the good news right they don't know the bad news uh, right so if we're not telling if we're telling the good news without the bad news then uh, we're not having you know gospel centered like right so uh, right so you know, part of that, that training and equipping is getting people just like, you know, uh, in Acts, was it 19 when, um, was it Apollos? Uh, didn't know, like they took him aside and ex explained the way of Christ more accurately. It's because he didn't know very accurately. They had to train him and pull him aside and said, you know, you're preaching, you're still preaching, you know, repentance according to John's baptism. And you don't even know about the Holy Spirit. He didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, right? He needed to be trained and equipped, but he was already out there preaching. He was already out there evangelizing. He did have to be trained, right? He did have to be explained the way of uh, the Lord more accurately, which is part of, you know, uh, the calling and sending and modeling discipleship and then sending, right? So accountability. Uh, where are we at? John Luke, can you read that section on accountability? Yeah, go ahead and read both of them, and we'll okay. handle it as a whole. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. Yeah, so it's uh, it's easier to see in um, with Christ how he sent out the twelve and the seventy or seventy-two others, and they reported back to him. And you know, especially this account in Luke ten, uh, of where they're like, "Oh man, we're like casting out demons in your name. This is so cool." Uh, Jesus is like, yeah, I saw Satan fall and I gave you the power to the power. Uh, but, and he corrects them, right? Don't rejoice in this. Rejoice in that you are, you know, your names are written in heaven, that you're united with your heavenly father. And that's the first reality that you should be praising and glorifying God. Uh, but deliverance is pretty cool. <laughs> right? They're like, yeah, they're super excited. And Jesus is like, like, let's change your hope and joy to something, you know, uh, the, the way more accurately, right? Um, so it's actually, it's a little bit hard to, or it's, I'm not sorry, I'm sorry, it's not hard, it's easy to miss uh, 
in Acts, you know, when Paul is uh, sent out, because I think it's in Acts, um, is it 11? Uh, when he's sent out by the Holy Spirit to go preach in Macedonia. Was it Macedonia? Uh, let me look at it real quick. So, uh, just to throw out some other examples of, you know, uh, Peter, after he goes to Cornelius' house, right, and preaches to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, worship, magnify God, right? It's like eight to ten years after Jesus' resurrection, they're like, oh, guess what? The Gentiles are going to be Christians, too. Uh, the Gentiles are going to worship God, you know? And they report back, or Peter reports back to Jerusalem and you know, explains to them what's happening, right? He's reporting back and telling people he's accountable, even though he's Peter, the foundation of the church, right? Um, then in Acts 13, uh, you know, it says, this is by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it says, while, uh, you know, uh, the church at Antioch, right, uh, in verse 2 of 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So it's the work to which the Holy Spirit has called them, right? Then, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. That is the church. So who sent them off? The church. The church. Well, that's partially the answer. And the Holy Spirit, right? The church and the Holy Spirit sent them off in unison together, right? The church saw the effects of the Holy Spirit and confirmed the signs of the Holy Spirit and sent them off, right? So if you read verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, right? So yeah, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit uh, in accordance. Uh, well, they should, I should say the more accurately, they were sent out by the church in accordance with the Holy Spirit, right? So uh, it's easy to miss um, Paul's kind of missionary journey because he goes through, and then all of it comes back, and he reports back to Antioch, right, after his first one setting up churches. Uh, and then he goes through again, and then it says he reports back to Antioch uh, for a short period of time, and then he goes through again, right? So he's always making the circle around, because uh, I think if we just read the book of Acts, like, um, kind of ho-hummedly and, like, without, you know, active reading... We get these ideas that, like, Paul's just, like, called by the Holy Spirit to go out and do the work of the ministry, and he's not accountable to anybody. He doesn't report to anybody. He's just building his team. But that's not the case. But that's kind of, like, the culture that we've built, you know, in the West of, I've got the work of the Holy Spirit that i got to do, and I'm not, like, he's called me to do this, but I don't necessarily need to seek or be accountable to anybody. Right? But to Paul was totally accountable to the Antioch church. He was totally accountable to the other apostles, right? Reading Galatians, uh, somebody turn to Galatians. Uh, Galatians two. Mm. Where are we at next? Uh, Christine, could you read uh, Galatians two? Um, Uh, six through six through nine. Thank you, Mel. 
Yeah. So Paul's just like recapping like what he's done, what Christ has done. Is like, you know, uh, for 14 years he didn't go up and he didn't. He spent a little time with Peter, but then he says like he's clearly reporting, you know, the gospel that has been entrusted to him by the revelation of Christ, and he went to the apostles to make sure that it was actually accurate, <laughs> that he wasn't like preaching some false doctrine. And he says that these people who appear to be pillars, right, added nothing to him, added nothing to his doctrines, uh, but they gave him Barnabas and sent him out to be the apostle to the Gentiles, right? Paul is totally a man under authority throughout all of Acts, throughout his entire <coughs> Christian life, uh, or even his non-Christian life, because he held the coats while Stephen was being stoned, right? He was still a man under authority, but uh, now he's accountable, right, in his missionary work with Barnabas uh, to the apostles and specifically to the church at Antioch, right? So we don't just, like, go out and evangelize, to bring this back to, like, specifically how we, like, we just don't go out and evangelize and, you know, wonder why, if we're being effective or what kind of fruit we're bearing and how we're making disciples, like, constantly be, like, reporting back, uh, you know, about, like, hey, I was... I've been out sharing the gospel and, you know, no one's willing to talk. Like, there's practical things we could work on about, you know, things. But there's also, like, you know, while I was, you know, just been discipling this guy for two years and he hasn't read the Bible yet. And it's like, well, have you talked to him about it? I was thinking about it. <laughs> I was thinking about telling him, like, well, there's the problem, right? Uh, that opens up with the accountability. That opens up for, you know, correction, rebuke you know, accountability to change for formation, for informational formation, you know, and impartational discipleship, right? So, everybody has to be accountable. Uh, let's go on to multiplying. Dan, can you read on the, the paper number six, multiplying? Yeah, so uh, we're not talking about multiplying and making like making disciples is multiplying. But we're talking about like making other people, like the goal of evangelism is to go out, produce people radically committed to Christ and obedience in his word, which is necessarily going out and evangelizing and making more disciples. So our uh, model that we're looking at in scripture is to find faithful men and women and trust them with the gospel that can teach others also that can generationally down the line continue to seek the pattern obey the pattern and model in scripture and do it and produce other people right that's our that's like a primary goal if that's not our goal right then we're way off so i don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time in that uh or the next point but you know um yeah so number seven continuing uh coming full circle daniel can you read that Yeah. So in continuing, like we're not just saying multiplying and passing down a generation, but like this is the model that we're going to continue to seek out and uh, and live out in Scripture uh, until the second coming of Christ. And hopefully our successors will do it more accurately and more effectively. But uh, our like the model in Scripture is, you know, why we put on their, um, you know, versus sensationism, pessimist millennial mentality is uh the world is not getting darker and darker, 
our world, our nation is because we have rejected God and his word and the authority of his scripture. We don't know his law. Uh, and we haven't taught our children. We haven't discipled the nations, right, in that. Uh, we believe in multiplying uh, and, you know, a continuationist model of scripture is we're going to continue to make disciples radically committed to glorify God, advance his kingdom in all seven spheres of society, uh, starting with the individual, right, to restore uh, different areas of society by making individuals radically committed to Christ, to see that the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters covers the seas, right? We are not hoping that Jesus raptures us out just in time for Satan before Satan wins. Like Christianity, God, Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, the Church of God is going to win. But we have to do it, like if we do it according to his model, right? If we are forming disciples or discipling people and as in our formation process or impartation process is off, right? I say off as in like we harbor bitterness, resentment, uh, bad attitudes, unclean spirits, whatever, right? And we permit that to continue. That's what's going to continue, right? So uh, the continuation is that we're going to continue to do this model, right? Because that's our goal, is that the whole world, every square inch of the entire universe, cries out like, mine. Jesus cries out over it, mine. Like, this is his world. Right? He told Adam and Eve, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Not like, be fruitful, multiply, and fill some sections, but hate to give hate to spoil the ending satan's gonna win that serpent's coming back right he said like or at that point the serpent's not coming back <laughs> they'd be like what serpent uh <laughs> nothing nothing <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in two chapters uh you know he said like it's a pervasive like disciple the nations and i am with you to the end of the age till the second coming of christ jesus is going to instill in his church and trust in his church in which like uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against so uh, that's kind of like our charge in evangelism right if we stay faithful to the pattern to the gospel of Christ to how he modeled it how it's modeled in scripture that's our expectation right that's what we're seeking um, so we're just using these like seven principles as a framework right so look at it as like where everybody is to the calling point like great if you look at it systematically step one boom you came <laughs> you're all called right what's next right so we'll continue um you know in this as a kind of a side note so i want to probably start doing like actual so all this stuff is like just informational <laughs> right as we're talking about like discipleship this is just informational uh we're gonna get like the workshops will be more uh, and a little bit impartational, um, but the workshops I want to do, which will probably be after right, the week after right state ends, um, will be like the practical bolts and nuts on how do we go out and start sharing the gospel. Uh, you can go out like no one's stopping you. You can go out and share the gospel now if you want. Uh, Sam, like I said, Sam and Amber were out there 
How long were you guys out there today? About an hour. About an hour? So, uh, no, I didn't put you on a schedule. <laughs> you guys just went out and did it, right? That's what you guys find fun. Um, you know, but the, I think the, we'll do the workshops to do like the practical nuts and bolts of like, okay, I get all this stuff theoretically. How do we work it out? How do I walk up to somebody and start a question, right? Are we going to be like Jehovah's Witnesses? Hello, would you like to hear about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, and knock on their doors? Probably not like that, but uh, we have gone knocking on doors before. Uh, you know, but uh, we'll start the practical workshops like, uh, and like, you know, apologetics methods and what's effective and, and whatnot uh, after Right State ends. And we're going to try to at least get to the point uh, in the program of where we've laid out the gospel, the basic foundations to the gospel that should be presented, right? Not like a watered down, uh, self-centered, man-centered gospel, but like a king, all, king glorifying gospel, right? So hopefully we'll get that to that part before the summer. Um, so would someone pray for us and we'll close there.